It's always an honor to be uh, speaking at this wonderful, uh, wonderful Makum Torah. It's uh, every time that I come and I'm greeted by your wonderful Menaheles, um, I'm amazed the, the classes keep growing, right? Am I right? This seems to be Baruch Hashem. Um, so I came here today to speak about Hanukkah, timely topic. But even more timely than Hanukkah is the message that I, I want to impart to you this morning. You know, we're all living in very difficult times. Uh, I don't think I've slept personally since Simchat Torah. I don't think I've slept more than three hours a night, literally. Not because I'm such a big tzaddik, I'm just haunted by the amount of people that, you know, that are no longer living from that one day and the hostages that are still alive, hopefully, and that they're, as we speak, they're literally suffering uh, unspeakable, unspeakable tortures. And so we're living in tough times. This is times that I think our generation, my generation, your generation, uh, definitely has not experienced Baruch Hashem thus far since maybe my grandparents' generation, my parents' generation, uh, in the Holocaust. Um, very hard to, uh, to understand what's going on, not just in Eretz Yisrael, but in the whole world. If you see uh, you know, pictures of what's taking place on, in, in college campuses throughout the country and the anti-Semitism, uh, it's very difficult to process because we think that, at least in America, we're safe and we're beloved and everyone likes us, and then we get this wake-up call that it might not be true. And so when we're dealing with these days that are really very uh, difficult, and we see that life and death is sort of hanging in the balance, there's like a malachamabas around. So Hanukkah takes a very special place to teach us something very important. That's what I want to share with you today. On the first night of Hanukkah, we make a, a third bracha as we light the menorah, the Hanukkah, and that is the bracha, of course, of Shechianu. And Shechianu is a bracha that we say very often, every Yom Tov we say Shachianu and Kiddush, and on, um, you know, when we do mitzvot, we say Shachianu for the first time when we don't do it many in, in, in a while. What is the bracha of Shachianu all about? And let's examine the bracha carefully. What we're saying is, and if you think about the bracha as you're saying it, it, it really is very, very powerful that we're thanking Hashem, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Olam, Shechiyanu, that you kept us alive. V'higiyanu, v'kiyimanu, and you sustained us, v'higiyanu l'azmanazen, you enabled us to get to this day. There are many people that can't say that bracha, this Hanukkah, that did not say this, this bracha, because they were not able to. And when we have the ability to recite that bracha, then it makes us be able to appreciate the gift of life. 
it's the thing that we take for granted the most. Of course, we wake up in the morning, we're alive, and we start our day. But if you concentrate on what we say, that Hashem, you return to me my soul. I didn't have to wake up. But Hashem, you gave me a new day. You gave me a new opportunity to be alive. And that is a gift that we have to thank Hashem for always. But especially in these times, in these trying times, we have to very much appreciate Hashem. If you allowed me to be alive, if you allowed me to live, then I have to bless you, I have to praise you, I have to appreciate it. Because it's not a given. Maybe last year it was a given, but this year it's not a given anymore. This year we have to really uh, focus on how great it is that we're able to still be alive. There's a story that's told about the Blujava Rebbe. The Blujava Rebbe was one of the heroes of the Holocaust. He went through the wars. He went through, he went through the war in the concentration camp, one of the worst of them, called Bergen-Belsen. And, and he lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his family. He lost his community. And it was Hanukkah in Bergen-Belsen in this terrible camp, and there were millions of people that were being murdered, and, and most people, you know, were just, you can imagine what the people there were going through. And what they did was, they didn't have on Hanukkah, as you can imagine, they weren't able to go to a store and get oil and, and wicks and a regular Hanukkah, so they improvised. And what they did was, the menorah, the Chanukiah that they used was a wooden clog. Somebody gave a wooden clog to be able to, uh, to use as the base of the menorah. And they made some holes in the wood. And then they took some, the wicks were made out of, they, they sort of took apart a concentration camp uniform and they were able to sort of braid the wicks and, and use them as wicks. And for oil, you can't get oil in the camp, so they took some shoe polish that had, had like some uh, flammability to it and they would put the shoe polish into the, into the holes of this makeshift minaret and that's what they lit. Amazing that these were what the heroes during these times that they could have very easily given up all their faith, but they decided that they were going to light a menorah under the eyes of the Nazis. And if the Nazis would come in, they would for sure all be dead. And there was dozens and dozens of people, maybe hundreds, that were gathered together the first night of Hanukkah and in this little barrack, and they waited for everything to quiet down. Everybody knew that there was this menorah, and they were all hundreds of people just watching, and the Blue Jabba Rebbe himself was a big, big tzaddik. He was honored with lighting the candles of the first night, the candle. And before he lit, of course, he made the bracha. He made the first bracha of the Hadlik Ner Shal Hanukkah to light the candle of Hanukkah. And then he made the bracha of Shasan Nisim Abbasenu, that you did miracles. Hashem, you performed miracles for our forefathers this time of year. And then he paused, he stopped a little bit, and he said, and he didn't, he thought, and then he said the bracha of Shachianu. And he lit, and maybe they sang 
quietly Mo's Tzor. And then uh, there was like a, a secular Jew that was in the camp, in the, in the bunk house at that night, on that night, and he didn't believe at all. And he was a smart man, but he was very cynical. And he elbowed his way to the front, and he said to the Blue Rebbe, Spiro, which his name was Rabbi Spiro, but he, he called him Spiro. He says, Spiro, he says, I understand you made that first blessing. It's a mitzvah. I understand you're into the mitzvah. You wanted to make the mitzvah of the Hadlik Ner fine. I understand historically the second bracha that you made, that Shasa Nisim, you did miracles in the, in the past, fine. He says, but how dare you make that third bracha? Shechiyanu, that you kept us alive, Hashem kept us alive. You don't see what's going on all around, on the right and on the left. You don't see how many Jews are, 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 are no longer our family, our friends, our communities, they're all perished here in Bergen-Belsen, and you're saying, you're making this brachav shachianu? Are you serious? This is what we're doing now? Hashem kept us alive. How is this life? In what way did he keep us alive? And the Blue Rebbe was a, a realist, and he says, listen, my friend, I had the same exact question and if you noticed, I stopped before I made the Shechin because I didn't know whether or not I was able to make that bracha here in Bergen-Belsen. How, how could I? Shechin, this, this is called life. But then, he said, I looked around the room and I saw dozens and maybe hundreds of people, men, women, children, who despite everything going on in the world and in our life and all the loss and all the tragedy and all the pain and the suffering, they still are gathered here. They're Moser Nefesh. They're giving up their life in order to watch me light the menorah on this night. That's Shechiyanu V'kiyimanu V'gyanu Azmanazeh. That means that we are alive. We're, as a people, we're not dead. We're very much alive and Hashem made us alive, and he sustained us, and he allowed us to arrive at this Hanukkah. And I can't take that for granted. When I see the people in the room, I can't take it for granted. Years after the war, thank God the Blue Rebbe survived the war, against all odds, and he remarried, and he started a community really very close by in Borough Park, and he had many hundreds of people that followed him. He became one of the leading Gedolim of his time, and he got a message one day, years later, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years after the story that I just told you happened. And it was from this, this person, that, uh, this secular Jew, who went through the war, he survived, I don't know what happened to him, but he sent a message to the Blue Rebbe saying that I want you to know that the words that you told me about Shechianu on that Hanukkah, I'm sure the Rebbe remembers, they inspire me till today. Whatever you told me about the ability that we have to be alive by appreciating the mitzvot, by appreciating the Torah, by appreciating life itself, that stays with me till today. I'm inspired from those words. And even though I might be a cold-hearted person and I might be cynical, but what you said was so true and I live by those words.
And so when we're alive, we have to be able to appreciate the fact that we're alive. I'll tell you a story about the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was once on Simchat Torah and he was dancing. But all of a sudden he slipped away into a side room and nobody knew where he was going. Like, where's the Chavetz Chaim going? You're in the middle of HaKafot and Simchat Torah. Like, where is he going? So one Talmud, of course, followed him. There's always that Talmud that follows, so we get the good stories. So, I don't know, he sort of slipped into this private room alone with the Chavetz Chaim, and he, the Chavetz Chaim was not aware that he was listening. And listen to what the Chavetz Chaim said. The Chavetz Chaim all of a sudden began to create like an imaginary setting as if he had already died and gone to heaven, and there was like a Din Torah up in Shemayim. There was like some judge and jury and, 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 and court case. And there were angels that were saying that the Chavetz Chaim should go to Olam Haba because you know, he's the great Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was speaking this all out. And then there was like all of a sudden like some dark angel saying, no, he doesn't deserve to go to Olam Haba. He said, why not? Who, who's, who, who's, who's more deserving than the Chavetz Chaim? He said, it's true. He kept Torah, he kept mitzvot, but he didn't do it b'simcha. He didn't do it with life. He didn't do it with happiness. He was doing it, but he wasn't really fully in ha- with happiness. So they said, oh, that's true. He didn't do it fully with happiness. So, you know, now it's up in the air. What should we do with him? And the Chavetz Chaim was like spelling this all out, like almost like role-playing this whole court case. And he was like so scared. And all of a sudden he, he grabs himself by the lapel and he says, wait a minute, Yisrael Mayer, that was his name. He says, I'm not dead yet. I'm alive. And I could still correct that. I could still be happy. Let's go back into the base Medrash and dance on Simchas Torah with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of the happiness that we, could, that we can muster because it's not too late. We're alive. And if I'm alive, I'm able to change. If I'm alive, I'm able to do tshuva. I'm able to really be a new person, be a person that's appreciative, be a person that really understands the gift that life is, that Hashem gives us, the precious gift, which is Chaim, and, and try to maximize it, try to squeeze out every ounce of, of Simcha in our lives. And that's what we call Tchiyat HaMesim. You know, there's Tchiyat HaMesim after a person dies someday, when Mashiach comes, people will come back to life. But there's also people that are alive that are not really alive. We're alive, but we're sort of like not. We don't appreciate life. And our job is somehow to be mechaye ourselves, to, to give ourselves renewed energy and focus on what we have in our life. I want to tell you an amazing story. I know that you're waiting to write down some real Torah. I'm sorry I didn't really bring anything but stories today. But um, sometimes stories are, are very, very educational and informative also. Listen to this story. It's, it's an amazing story. And I think it really brings home this point, this lesson. One of the great Hasidic masters was Rebeli Melech Milizhensk. Rebeli Melech from the city of Lizhensk. He was known by his famous sefer called the Noam Elimelech. Noam Elimelech. And he was, of course, one of the greatest Hasidic masters that existed. He lived several hundred years ago. He was like from the early Hasidic masters. And, and he was known to have like Ruach HaKodesh. Like he had tremendous ability to see and to understand things that 
Most of us can't. So there was a husband that comes to the Nomali Melach one day, and he says, Rebbe, says, my wife and I have been married now for about 12, 13 years, and unfortunately, we are not able to have a child. Can't have a child. And it's very hard, it's very difficult. Um, and it is, I'll tell you a personal story, just don't just interrupt and interject my, a personal story. When I was, when my wife and I were married, uh, we were married four years and we didn't have a child. And maybe four years doesn't sound like a, a, a tremendous amount of time, but it is, because when you have friends and you have siblings and, you have, and they're all having children, they're making Shalom uh, Zachars, and I don't know what, what Sardin do, but they make Brisson and they have you know Shalom uh, Zachars, and you're always invited. It's very hard, especially for women, but for men as well. And Reb Chaim Kanievsky's son... Uh, was in America for some purpose. I don't know why he was here, one of his sons. And this is going back a long time. I'm not going to tell you how many years, but a long time. And, um, and it was in the middle of the winter, and he was speaking at a certain shul in Flappish. We, now we live in Queens. We used to live in Flappish. And it was a far walk from my house to that shul. It was on the other side of Flappish. And it was, uh, it was at least like a half an hour walk, probably, and it was the, the, the coldest winter night in, you know, of the year, by far. It was a Friday night. He was speaking in the shul. My wife said, listen, you know, I know it's cold out, but we need a bracha. And Chaim Kanievsky's son is here. He's big tzaddik. I want you to go and, and get a bracha from him. I said, you know, it's, it's a little cold out there. Um, can we, you know, maybe like, I don't know, figure out somebody closer to go to. She said, go. It's Chaim Kanievsky's son. Anyway, so... I went out, I bundled up, I went out to, um, to that shul, and he was giving a shear, and then after the shear was over, I went over to him, and I said to him, I said, Shalom Aleichem, my name is my name, and um, told him, you know, married four years, need a bracha, you know, have a child. He says, he looks at me, he says, you don't need a bracha. I said, trust me, Rabbi, I need a bracha. He says, you don't need a bracha. So I, it just like dawned on me, like, I think maybe I know what he's saying. Anyway, it turns out that my wife was expecting, and I don't know to this day how he knew. I don't know how to, I mean, and it wasn't on his home court. You know, if it was in B'nai Brak, okay, maybe, you know, he has his, his, his mystical powers there, but he was in Flatbush, and that he knew, it's, 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 it's crazy. And he's still alive today. Anyway, but going back to the Naim Elimelech, some, this, fa, this husband comes to Naim Elimelech and he says, Rebbe, you have to give me a bracha. It wasn't four years, it was 12 long, lonely years that they desperately wanted to have a child. So, the Rebbe says, I see in Shamayim that there's something stopping you from having a child. Somebody is like, you know, doing something again. There's some pushback against you that you're not able to have children, you and your wife. Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone that you, like, got into a fight with, that you insulted, that maybe has a tana against you, that they, you know, they, they have some a beef with you? Like, is there somebody that... So, no, we're, we're pretty, you know, we're easygoing people. Nobody that I remember has, a, you know, has any kind on me. He says, something's up with you. I, I see something, you know, going on with you. He says, were you ever 
like maybe engaged to a girl and then, you know, broke the engagement and she's still upset about it. He says, no, I was never engaged to her. My wife is my, the only girl that I, I was engaged to. He says, did you ever, like, promise a girl that you would marry her and you didn't? So he says, nah, not really. So when somebody says not really, that means like, you know, some, the antennas go up and then Mel says, what do you mean not really? Like it's a yes or no question. Like yes or no, dude. He says, I'll tell you a story. He says, when I was a, a very little boy, maybe four or five years old, I had a next door neighbor. She was four or five years old and we were very good friends. Everybody used to say that someday we're going to get married together and we would play ball together, and we would, you know, but obviously, they're Hasidic people, they're not, it's not going to carry, just when they were little kids, they were, and one time, you know, she was up on the top of the tree, and I climbed up the tree, and she said to me, are you going to marry me someday? Three, four, year, five-year-old girl, he says, yeah, of course I'm going to marry you someday. She says, you promise? Yeah, I promise. And that was it. And then I came down from the tree, and then I became six, seven, eight, and I, you know, moved on. And I got married a couple of years later. I see them get married very young, and um, and you know, and I got married, and uh, and the rest is history. But like, I, I didn't even think about it until you just mentioned it to me. But but it's like, who would think that you know that that that, that would even be a, an issue? Like, we're little kids. So then my says it's very important. Listen to me well. It's very important that you find this girl. He says, but I don't know where she lives. I don't know, I don't know you know, we lost touch. I, you know, we were little kids. I... He says, go to the city of Brody. Brody was a pretty big city in, in Eastern Europe. He says, you'll find her there. Okay? Now, saying go to Brody and find a girl, that's like saying go to, you know, go to, I don't know, go to Lakewood and find, uh, you know, find, find there's, there's so many people there. So he said, just go there and go to a certain corner and, and just, just do what I say. Just go there, you'll find her. So he said, he, you know, if he says it, it's... So he goes to Brody and he, um, he goes to like the marketplace. There's a, they, in Yiddish, it's called the Yerid, a place that you go to the market and... And there was a, like an awning, like not an awning, but like a big umbrella that was over like a fruit stand. And, and he was standing there and all of a sudden the heavens open and it's pouring, pouring rain, pouring rain. And a lot of people are like huddled together underneath this umbrella because they're trying to protect themselves from the, from the, from the storm. And so he's like elbowing people out of the way, like, you know, to give him space because he was like getting very crowded. And he hears a voice of a lady and she says, you're still pushing me away? He looks at her and he recognizes her from his childhood. And he says, please come to the side. They went to like a side building. And he says, here's the story. And he tells her the whole story, how he's married for 12 years, and his wife and him can't have a child together. And he went to the great tzaddik, the Nehemeli Melech, and the Melech told him that I asked me, and I, I remembered the story with you, and please be mechel me, please forgive me. I, I didn't mean when I was a child, 
I'm sorry. I just please forgive me. I know that it was wrong that I committed to you and I didn't fulfill it, but I, I, you have to help me because it's the only way that we're going to have a child. So she says, "Fine, I'm meichel you. Everything should be good by you. I have no tainus anymore." And end of story. The next day, this person, this man, <clears throat> now he's, he has that bracha. He went to visit his parents' house in whatever city he came from. And the next-door neighbor, which is where that girl was from, right? That's, her next, that's his next-door neighbor's house. So her brother was home. He saw the brother was visiting his parents some, you know, many years later. And he says, wow, you know, it's so good to see you, he says to the brother of this girl. He says, I have regards to you, for you, from your sister. My sister? What do you mean my sister? He says, yeah. Yesterday I was in the city of Brody and I saw your sister and she sends you regards. He says, my sister died 12 years ago. He says, the night that you got married, the night that you got married, the whole family went to the wedding. She couldn't go because she was so upset and she was so heartbroken and that night she died in her sleep, out of a broken heart. <coughs> and all of a sudden, all of a sudden it occurred to, them, to this man, the real power of the of the Naim Elimelech. The Naim Elimelech didn't just... Who was the second woman? What? <laughs> so the Naim Elimelech had the power to bring that woman down to earth in order... In order, just in order, to give mechila to this this man so he was able to have a child, which of course he did. But this story teaches you the power, the power not just of forgiveness... And not just the power of being able to see how great the tzaddik Nehem Elmelch is, but it really shows the power of Tchiyat HaMesim. How it's so important in life that when we're still alive, and when we have the opportunity, because we don't have Nehem Elmelchs walking the face of the earth anymore, and we have to make sure, and I'm sorry for being a little heavy today on Hanukkah, but please be mindful of me, but I'm just... It's, it's sort of like... It's sort of like a, you know, a theme. You can ask my tell me then like it's sort of um, I'm in that mode these days for whatever reason. I know the reason. We all know the reason. But when we're alive, if we're able to say Maida'ani in the morning and thank Hashem, Shechizarta binishmasi, you returned my soul to me. That's not, we don't take that for granted. That's a real thing. That's, it's not just saying because I have to say it. It's a real, we have to, and I'm talking to myself. We have to really appreciate the gift that Hashem gives us to wake up in the morning. And we have to appreciate the gift that Hashem gives us on Hanukkah, that you allowed me to come to this time. It's not a given. And if we're appreciating life, if we have a newfound appreciation for life, which hopefully at the end of this class we might have a little bit more, now we have a job to do. Now we have to really appreciate not just the fact that I'm alive, but I have to appreciate the fact that I have family. I have family that's alive. I can't take them for granted. 
cannot take that for granted. Yeah, if you're lucky enough to have parents, if you're lucky enough to have siblings, if you're lucky enough to have, to have aunts and uncles and cousins, that's not a given. That's not a given. You have to appreciate them in the living years. When everyone is alive, you have grandparents, appreciate them. And you have to like call them and you have to say, you know, how are you? And thank you for all that you did for me and for my parents. You have to appreciate friends. Friends. We take them for granted. We say, of course you have friends. And that's not true. Not everybody has friends. And a good friend, a friend that has loyalty, a friend that you could trust, a friend that's, that's kind, that's nice to you, that will help you. You're studying for a test. She's the one that will you know, gladly photocopy her notes and give it to you. That's something that you can't take for granted either. And of course, your, your teachers, your menahelas, your, your, your abeyim, I mean, they're giving you literally the gift of life. They're giving you Torah. They're giving you wisdom. They're giving you hashkafa. They're giving you the ability to, to navigate life. Hanukkah is a time that you have to, like, say thank you. You have to, like, appreciate this. You should be doing this every day. We should be doing it every day. But if you have an opportunity, Hanukkah is a great time to do it. When you make, every time you make a talk of Shachianu, it should be a time that you step back and say, wait a minute, it's true, I'm alive, and I, as a living person, I have to find myself indebted to all the people that gave me so much good. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I've been the Mashkiach Ruchani in Lander College for, for a long, long time, and, you know, sometimes I give a class and people you know, come over to me and they say, thank you, I really, you know, I was inspired, I got something from it. And people, a lot of people don't, and I'm sure you have this also, like you can have a great class, and, but you don't bother saying thank you to your teacher, to your mora, to your, because, you know, that's what they're doing. They're, they're doing that and you're, you're listening, so that's the relationship, but that's not the way it is. When you say thank you to your teachers, what you're doing is you're making them appreciate that all the preparation that went in for that class and for the year and for whatever it is that they're doing, and they're doing a lot behind the scenes that you don't even know about for you, you have to appreciate that. You have to, like, really go over and say thank you. And I, I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And when we're able to say thank you and we're able to, most importantly, say thank you to them, that's when life begins. Life begins when we have this newfound appreciation of the value and the gift that is life. Hanukkah is a happy time. It's a, it's a, it's a bright time. It's a liftiga time. It's a, it illuminates the world, the, the menorahs throughout the globe. But the most important element of Hanukkah is the fact that we have to appreciate Hashem for doing the nisim for us, and the nisim that we have in our own daily lives, which is all those little things, al nisacha shebechal yom imanu, we say every day in, in modem. The miracles that are with us every day, it doesn't have to be these huge supernatural miracles, the miracle that we're breathing, the miracle that we're here right now and we're able to see, we're able to hear, we're able to, to write, we're able to walk, all these things are miracles in our own personal lives. And when we're thanking Hashem for the great miracle of Hanukkah, we also, of course, have to thank Hashem for the personal miracles. And when we do that, then suddenly we, beca- we really begin 
to taste life because we appreciate those daily gifts, those daily miracles that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives to each and every one of us. Thank you very, very much for, for listening and have a wonderful, wonderful Hanukkah.